Lord, we want to be thankful that even our nation as a whole, with all of the problems and all of the pain and all of the wrongdoing, all of the sin, still has a Thanksgiving Day. And those may be out there who do not recognize you as the one who should receive all of our thanks. But Lord, certainly in this place, we extol your name and all the thanks that we have is due to your goodness in our lives. Lord, we praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was telling Brother Franz, we got those two Thanksgiving songs we got to sing, and I couldn't think of the second one, and I'm not sure how much Miss Sonia had to do with that, but I'm sure it was quite a bit, but uh, thank you very much, amen. Enjoy those songs. We, we don't sing them often enough, beautiful, beautiful hymns, and uh, tonight, uh, as was preparing this message, it uh, began to take on some strange uh, directions, and uh, so we're going to title the message, A Strange Thanksgiving. And, uh, of course, we live in strange times, do we not? And sometimes it seems like there's just not very much to be thankful for. Has anybody ever been there? Uh, you just look at things and you say, it's not the way it used to be. It's just not the way it ought to be. And... Uh, uh, I was looking through some of my old sermons and beginning to try to find passages that I have not covered in uh, uh, 20-some Thanksgiving messages. And uh, so there are not very many passages left that we haven't covered. And, of course, tonight we're going to do a good bit to get some of the ones that people never preach on on Thanksgiving. But uh, I think and hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. Let's turn to the book of Ezra, chapter 3. Ezra, now we'll set the, uh, Ez- uh, the uh, context here. Ezra was a contemporary of Nehemiah. But Ezra's book covers the history that predates uh, the book of Nehemiah, by nearly a hundred years, Ezra covers the history of those that went back and rebuilt the temple. And in Ezra chapter 3, we have the story of the laying of the foundation of what is historically, by the Jewish people, called the second temple. The first temple was Solomon's temple. The second temple was the one that was built Uh, in the history of the book of Ezra. And, of course, uh, Herod's temple, the temple that Jesus walked in, was actually the temple of Ezra that was built around. Actually, Herod built the new temple right up over the old building that was built in the days of Ezra. And uh, in verse 11 here, it says, uh, let's just... uh, Uh, Let's go back to verse uh, 8. Now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month began Zerubbabel the son of Shethiel and Jeshua the son of Josedek and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites and all they that were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. 
Then stood Jeshua with his sons and his brethren, Cadamio and his sons and the sons of Judah together to set forward the workmen in the house of the Lord, the sons of Henadad, with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. And when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priest in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now we'll stop reading right there for a moment. And certainly this was a time to give thanks. The temple had been raised by Nebuchadnezzar and his soldiers. And when we use that word raised, it doesn't mean lifted up. It means wiped off the face of the earth as shaved with a razor. And there was nothing there. And they laid the foundation for the second temple And as soon as that foundation, that first course of stones was laid, the priests got on their priestly robes. They had already been sacrificing. See, this is one thing. The temple does not have to be built for the Jewish people to reinstitute the sacrifices. The temple has to be cleansed. And once the cleansing is done... They could pile a pile of rocks and begin the daily sacrifice again. And if we understand the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation correctly, they are going to reinstitute the temple sacrifice on the mount in Jerusalem right about the time the tribulation period begins. There's a little part of me that hopes that it happens before the tribulation begins so that we could see just some images. But it would seem that the covenant with the Antichrist would be the key to allowing that to happen again. I mean, if the Jewish people started sacrificing on the Temple Mount today, every Islamic man in the world would be under orders to go to Jerusalem and die before that was allowed to happen. There's some things that have to change in our world before God's prophecy is going to be fulfilled. But let me tell you something. Things change fast, do they not? And so let us pray toward that end. But as was going on here, they had laid the foundation of the temple. And of course, this was mostly, as we all understand in a moment... The younger people, those that had been born in the captivity, it had been 70 years since sacrifice had been offered on the Temple Mount. Everything had laid in desolation those 70 years, and now they come back and they relay the Temple Foundation. Of course, that would be a time of great rejoicing. But how many of you know what was going on at the exact same time? Let's read the next verse. Verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house 
when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice. Now here we have the priests coming out and they are walking around the foundation, praising God with the cymbals and song, singing by course, following the instructions of David, the man of God. And here's the chief priests wailing. Now see, when the Jewish people expressed emotion, this is just part of their culture. It wasn't one of those, (laughs) I mean, it was wailing. I mean, at the top of the the more noise you made, uh, if I could be graphic and gross for a minute, the more snot you slung and the tears you threw, uh, I mean, it was just, it was just a better funeral. I mean, that's just what it was all about. You were expressing your grief. You did so physically. You would paint ashes on your face and then let them run down and stain your garments. Often you would take your garment. Now remember, a person did not have a closet full of clothes like most of us have. You had one set of clothes. Ladies, you wouldn't figure out what you were going to wear this Sunday. Because you'd been wearing it all week. Doesn't that sound awful? They had no dry cleaners back then. Uh, Could we say that things were just a little different back then? And uh, I'm glad I live in today. How about you? But they would often rend that outer garment to show their grief. Now, it doesn't say that they rent their garments, but it says they, that no one could discern the sound of joy because of the sound of weeping. The old men looked at the temple. They said, this temple is not even going to be a mere shadow of the former temple, of the Real temple. Now, how many of you are familiar with the prophecies of Zerubbabel and Zechariah, uh, to Zerubbabel by Zechariah? It said the glory of this house is going to be greater than the glory of Solomon's temple. Why? Because it would be these paving stones that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, would walk upon. It would be this temple that Jesus would ascend the steps to and sit there as the children cried Hosanna on what we call Palm Sunday. I'll tell you, this temple that was built here was the foundation for the temple that in Jesus' day was reckoned as one of the great wonders of the ancient world. People would travel from all over the world, those that had the ability just to stand in the city and look at the temple. That was the temple that Jesus was shown by the disciples. They thought that that temple would be the temple from which Messiah would reign. Jesus knew that just in a few short years, 70 AD, that temple would be laying even with the ground 
that the very stones would be pulled apart to scrape the gold and the precious metals from between the stones when it was set on fire by the men of Titus. But here's the thought I want us to get tonight. How many of you have heard stories of God doing great things in the past? How many of you would like to see some of those stories relived today? I mean, I would. But I think there's a lesson here for us to learn. Let's not let the glories, the great stories of the past, rob us from being thankful for the things that God's doing today. Amen? Let us not allow the sorrow of the old men that saw things when they were different stop us from being thankful and rejoicing each time God does something. I would love to see hundreds saved. But I remember a preacher saying, well, this is the Northeast. He said, uh, you know, we've, we've been here so many years and we've only seen five or six people saved and baptized every year. And I'm going, join the crowd, man. That's nothing to be upset about. Praise God for the people that are getting saved. Praise God that there were some, not none. Amen. We are going to see our understanding of life and the scriptures move further and further to the margins of our society. But I, I want to remind you something. Uh, before Emperor Constantine, was being a Christian really a good thing in Rome? Hello? Uh, not unless you like being lion food. When Nero was around, he, he was a demonically possessed man. He took the idea when Jesus said, ye shall be the light of the world, literally, by making people human torches in his circus at night. I mean, those were some pretty horrible things. And their only crime? Being a Christian. Let me tell you, it hasn't gotten that bad here yet. And we need to be thankful for what God is doing because God is still doing things. Amen. We need to rejoice in what God, even while others are weeping and despairing, do not let them steal your thanksgiving. It is important. You cannot please God without being thankful. You cannot truly pray without being thankful. You cannot serve God without being thankful. It's not possible. And we're going to have that illustrated in the strange places where Thanksgiving came from as we go through the rest of our message tonight. But as we read here in the book of Ezra, these men were thankful because the temple foundation was laid. 
The other men were saddened because it wasn't big enough or good enough. It didn't compare to the older days. But we've just finished that history in our Sunday school time. How many of those days, even before Solomon was dead, he had departed from the truth and was worshiping false gods and had erected right there within the city of Jerusalem. Uh, there's not a lot about this, but if it's a little place called Milo, M-I-L-O. It was a place that he had built that far as we understand was the center of the ancient cultic worship of false gods in the city of Jerusalem. That was the reason why Rehoboam, I mean Jeroboam, had gotten angry at Solomon because he had built this place. And then Jeroboam went and caused Israel to sin by building the calf and the worship at Bethel and Dan. Hey, false worship was all through the first temple. Manasseh had even set up an image in the courtyard of the temple to provoke God to anger. Let me tell you something. Be thankful for what God is doing. It may seem small in your eyes, But that's probably because you need your eyesight to be adjusted. Amen? Because nothing God does is small. Everything He does has a purpose. And His ultimate purpose is the fulfillment of every prophecy in this book. Amen? And so, let's not let the tales of the olden days rob us of our thanksgiving. Yes, they were great. Yes, they were glorious. And we'll rejoice in them, that they existed. I remember Brother Clayton telling the story of being in Korea. And he gave the invitation to get saved. And every person in the church got up and came forward to be saved. And he told the interpreters, you must have said something wrong. Sit everybody back down. We're going to explain it to them again. And he went through the plan again and everybody got up again. And he said, okay, here's what we're going to have to do. He said, we're going to have to put everybody in a line. And the line went out the door and into the street. And people would come by and say, what are you standing for? Well, if I stand in this line, they're going to tell me how to go to heaven. And people that weren't even in the service, the sun came up the next morning. And they were still there in that church telling people how to get saved. You just sit there and go, wow. And that wasn't some made-up story. He was there. He watched it happen. Would it be that we could lose sleep because there were so many people wanting to get saved that you couldn't go to sleep? Sign me up. But I'm not going to lose my thankfulness for every one that walks down the aisle, for every one that gets baptized. Amen. Let's go to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6.
talk about dark days and bad government. Daniel had it. Daniel chapter 6. How many of you remember the story? All of the princes came together and they said, we want only one thing. We want to get Daniel. And so they tried to get him. And, the only, and they finally came to this conclusion. Verse 5. We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. He said the only way that we're going to get something wrong on Daniel is we're going to have to outlaw the worship of his God. What a testimony. Amen. Now read down with me to verse 10. Verse 10. It says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, this was a law forbidding any prayer or petition to be made to any God or any other human being other than the king. Now, this king has got to have problems. I mean, I'll tell you what. I wouldn't even want that to happen in my house with my kids. Ask your mother for a glass of juice. Amen. Uh, let's, let's not, I don't want everything coming. I mean, this king, every request in his kingdom was supposed to be made of the king. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knee three times a day and prayed. Now, what's the next three words? Read them with me. And gave thanks. Let's do that again. And gave thanks before his God. Now, here's the key phrase. As he did aforetime. Daniel did not allow the change in government to rob him of his thankfulness. Was Daniel, was not like some of these strange stories. And, and I don't encourage you to read, uh, study the history of martyrology. Uh, those that gave their lives uh, supposedly in the cause of Christ. Some of the stories are so fantastic that I don't believe the people who told them were honest. And many of the other stories are so fantastic, I don't believe the people who died were even saved. I mean, it's crazy some of this stuff that goes on. Daniel was not giving thanks because the king's commandment was against his prayer. It was non-topical, my friend. He gave thanks as he did aforetime. He was still giving God the credit for being good, even though the king was really stupid. Could we try that again? He was giving God credit for being good, even though the king was really stupid. You got to work on that one a little bit. You see, this kind of thanks does not come naturally, does it? At this point, Daniel was 80 or so years old. He wasn't giving thanks because of his adverse circumstances. He knew that this law was specifically designed to entrap him. He knew that his life was on the line. But he wasn't going to let their planning and their plotting 
and their modern-day term, mind games, affect his thankfulness to God. Boy, what a lesson we need to learn. Daniel, I'm sure, if Daniel had anything in him at all, he was bringing his petition to God and asking God to protect him from the men who were plotting against him. But he wasn't going to ignore the character of God because of the wickedness of men around him. There is a lesson there for us. I'll tell you, there's an awful lot to be unthankful for if we allow ourselves to head in that direction. But if we'll keep our eyes on God, we'll find out that we can be thankful regardless of what's going on around us, regardless of the plotting and planning. Daniel gave thanks before God, before his God as he did aforetime. Daniel refused to stop thanking God for being good in Daniel's life in spite of the horrible things that he was expecting to happen at any moment. That almost sounds contradictory, doesn't it? But it's Bible. This is what... I'm trying to communicate when I say God is always good. He cannot be anything but good because he is God. Sometimes God asks his people to suffer. You know what? We can still thank God for his goodness. Amen? Do not let things of the past and others' understanding of the present rob you of your thankfulness for what God is doing right now. Do not allow the machinations of evil men to rob you of your understanding that God is still good. Now, here's the weirdest place Thanksgiving came from, and it'll never be repeated as far as I understand. How many of you know where I'm going now? Let's go to the book of Jonah. How many knew I was going there? The book of Jonah, the weirdest place Thanksgiving came from, the whale's belly. But that's where Jonah was. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 9. It says, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of what? Oh, we haven't gotten there yet. Jonah chapter 2. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. So if you got there, you're too far. But the book of Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. 
I want you to go back to verse 1 of chapter 2 so we can get the time context here. Look at verse 17, the last verse of chapter 1. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Now it says he was in the fish's belly three days and three nights. Then he prayed unto the Lord. I'll tell you what. That three days and three nights was the closest thing to eternity that a human being could ever experience. Jonah's Timex could not take a licking and keep on ticking inside the well's belly. He didn't have one. When you are disoriented from time, it does things to you that cannot be... In fact, that's one of the tortures that they use when they're trying to break down a person. They'll leave the light burning 24 hours a day. They won't let them look out windows because they want to disorient them from time because when you are, you don't know how long this is going on. And what may only be a few hours could seem like a month. God knew what to do to get Jonah to the point, but the last thing that Jonah did before he was free of the whale, of the great fish, was he had to be thankful again. See, you can't serve God if you're not thankful. Now, Jonah never got his attitude completely right, at least in the book of Jonah. Philip, how about turn around here? Thank you. But he says, I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. Now, let me ask you a question. What did Job have to be thankful for? I mean, read, read the story there. He said, the, the earth compassed me with her bars and I had seaweed wrapped around his head, around my head. And I sunk into the depths of the mountains and... And you brought up my life from corruption. And he says, I'm going to sacrifice with the voice of thanksgiving. God was still listening to Jonah's prayer. Amen. You know, sometimes we get ourselves into a real mess. By disobeying God's words. Christians are capable of doing wrong things and making wrong decisions. Amen. Have you ever felt like God just moved out of town and left you alone? Well, I want to challenge you. It wasn't God that moved. And if you want to get back close, start being thankful to God. Because he's still God. God will never be anything less than God. He said, I will sacrifice. What was Jonah sacrificing? Jonah's understanding of God, number one. Amen. Jonah was sacrificing Jonah's desire to do what Jonah wanted to do which was run away from God. 
And he said, I'm going to change my attitude. I'm, God, I'm going to be thankful to you because you're God. Because you've given me direction. And I'm going to surrender my will to yours. You know something? Be thankful that God has given you life so that you can admit that you're wrong and he's right. Amen? That's where all thankfulness begins. You've got to understand that even in the well's belly, God's still God. God was still good. And Jonah understood that God was giving him one more chance to obey him. None of us like difficult situations. I mean, there's something wrong with you if you do. Now, I understand there are some people that like difficult math problems because it tones up their mind. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is difficult circumstances in life where we just don't understand what's going on. And we, we may not even appreciate God's direction in our lives. It's not God that needs changed. It's our thankfulness that needs to be readjusted. Because when God heard Jonah's prayer, Jonah wasn't in the whale's belly very long from then, now was he? And so what we look at here, he says, I'm surrendering to you again. By the way, how do you get mercy from God? It's by surrender. Amen? And that's what we need. We get mercy from the throne of grace and grace to help in a time of need. So we see that we shouldn't allow other people's understanding of this world and things that are going on to rob us from being thankful when God works, even today. Amen? We need to understand that God is still good even when everything around us goes wrong with Daniel. And when we get out of sorts with God like Jonah did, you want to get back in fellowship, start by being thankful. Now, we got just one more to look at. This is in the book of Amos. And this one does not have a happy ending or a good resolution. This one is a warning. It's one that we need to take heed to. Let's look at verse 5. Amos is warning to the people of Israel. It says, uh, let's read verse 4. Come to Bethel and transgress. Why? Because that's where the calf was. At Gilgal, multiply transgressions. And bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. 
and proclaim and publish the free offerings. For this liketh you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. Now what the prophet is doing here is thundering a condemnation at the people of Israel because their worship was corrupt. You know, a lot of people, first thing that something goes wrong, it's, oh my God. That's taking the name of the Lord in vain. really is. And the first time that something good happens, it's, oh, thank Jesus, or thank God. You know, that's almost as bad sometimes. If we're not understanding what we're saying. I mean, we catch ourselves and say, oh, praise the Lord, there's anchovies on the pizza. Boy, that... That's really, I mean, I love anchovies, but that's not something to really praise the Lord about. We've got to be careful about these things. We can trivialize our praise and our thanksgiving. It says to offer thanksgiving with leaven. Now, leaven is almost always... I won't say always because I believe there is one passage where leaven is used in a positive sense. But leaven is almost always a picture of sin. And it was breaking God's law. The only sacrifice that was offered with leaven, and this is interesting, was on the day of Pentecost. They were to take two loaves of bread made with the first ripe wheat, made with leaven, and they were to wave it to the Lord. It was never to be burnt on the altar. You see, God wants us to be careful. Our thanksgiving is supposed to be to God Because of who he is. Not just rendered at God for making me happy. Amen? You see, you hear me often talk about a slot machine God. You put in so many prayers. How many of you have ever seen these things in the newspapers? Prayer to St. Jude. Pray seven times a day for seven days and then publish anonymously. Answer, request, always granted. Anybody seen those things? I mean, it's all through the papers. God has not put in so many prayers and pull the handle and get an answer. The God of the Bible is not the God of Buddhism of which you keep repeating your mantra until you become what you repeat. The Wiccans, witches, they had a little ceremony that they would do. You see, they would dress up in a fashion like they wanted to be in the next year. So if you were taking nurses' classes and you wanted to be a nurse, you would put on a nurse's uniform for Halloween. 
That's where some of that costume stuff came. Let me tell you something. God cannot be manipulated by your behavior. God's not looking for that kind of thankfulness. And as we contemplate Thanksgiving and the whole holiday season, Christmas and New Year's, let's make sure that our offering of Thanksgiving is unleavened with the seasoning and the desires of this flesh. I hope that you have not taken only the negative aspects of this, but the positive aspects of this message. Because I'll tell you, as I look around, I hear those old stories, and boy, there's part of me that just says, I wish it could be like that again. Maybe what we ought to do is just pack up and go buy an island and have our own little country somewhere. You know what would happen? It wouldn't take long for us to be very understanding that we, the people who have caused all these problems, are still there. Uh, I'm going to stay where God put me, but I don't want to lose my thankfulness for what God is doing today. Amen? And even though everything changes and it goes against us, I want to take the admonition of Daniel and not forget to be thankful because God is still good, even when man is not. Amen? And every one of us need to remember old Jonah because... We all get a little out of sorts with God on occasion. And you know where we start to get back right? Thanksgiving. And we need to take Amos's warning. Don't offer your Thanksgiving with leaven. It's not acceptable. It's got to be pure. None of you. All of God. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do not change. We thank you for these stories. And Lord, though they're varied in time and and circumstance, and, and certainly none of them could approach to anything that Jonah went through, Lord, we can still see the headlines in tomorrow's newspaper being reflected in these stories. Lord, I ask for myself, for our church, and for each of its members, that we would remember to offer the proper sacrifice of thanksgiving without leaven, the basis of our service to you, regardless of circumstance. And regardless of how insignificant your work seems, Lord, the fact that you hear our prayers ought to be a source of great rejoicing and thankfulness. 
Lord, we come to you. We just want to thank you for being such a good God. Before we finish that prayer, just give you a moment if you want to slip out of your seat and spend some time at the altar. The altar is open.